was the night before Christmas, and I was filled with elation. I'd given the maid her two weeks' vacation. I turned down the lights and crawled under the covers and listened to Frankie sing songs for young lovers. I wore negligee all sheer and pink, cause tonight was a night I would get me a mink. I mixed some martinis and then brushed my hair, for I knew that Santa Claus soon would be there. Then from outside came the roar of a caddy. I knew who was coming. It was my Santa daddy. That was Kay Martin performing My Santa Daddy from her 1962 album, I Know What He Wants for Christmas, But I Don't Know How to Wrap It. This naughty party album might seem out of place for a holiday celebrating a virgin birth, and it would be offensive to moral crusaders who have protested various forms of indecency during the holy days for centuries. We can see such objections across the span of American history. Famed Boston minister, Increase Mather, published a tract in 1687 declaring that the Feast of Christ's Nativity is attended with such profaneness as that it deserves the name of the Devil's Mass. More recently, in 1952, a West Virginia radio station attempted to ban the song I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus because it suggested that Mommy was making love with somebody else besides Daddy. The station only reinstated the song after listeners protested. Battles over the right way to commemorate Christmas were never actually about separating sex from the sacred. Rather, these fights spotlighted which types of sexual expressions were welcomed at the manger. For many Americans, Christmas time has been a sexy time. The long-standing popularity of Christmas Eve proposals and Christmas-themed romantic movies make clear that many celebrations of Christmas were also celebrations of straight romantic love, physical affection, and marriage. Even Jimmy Boyd's much-covered song, I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus, suggests, with a wink and a nod, that heterosexuality has very much been part of domestic Christmas scenes. But Christmas is all about desire and longing in another important way. For well over a century, the commercialization of Christmas and the sexualization of commerce has saturated the holidays with all sorts of wholesome and perverse longings. Sexually appropriate Christmas gifts like jewelry and lingerie have competed with a wider range of erotic Yuletime possibilities, ranging from raunchy cards to mistletoe belt buckles and Santa-themed pornography. In short, the archive of carnal Christmas behavior is richer than a holiday rum cake. So grab your eggnog, curl up by the fire, and join us as we explore the ghosts of Christmas nights past. I'm Gillian Frank. And I'm Lauren Gutterman. Welcome to a Sexing History XXXmas special. In this episode, we'll be taking a cue from Santa Claus and sketching a naughty and nice list of festive sexual expressions. Whether certain Yuletide sex acts were considered naughty or nice was never a foregone conclusion. Rather, what mattered was how Americans expressed, interpreted, and regulated these seasonal sexual activities. Let's start with the so-called nice list of sexual behaviors and begin with that staple of Christmas romance and harassment, the mistletoe. 
In the late 19th century, Victorians popularized the practice of kissing under the mistletoe, a plant whose round berries were believed to promote fertility. By the early 20th century, this practice had been thoroughly incorporated into American culture. Popular songs like the 1913 recording, I'd Rather Be Kissed Neath the Mistletoe Bough Than Spoon Under Any Old Tree, cheerfully described an intimate scene with mistletoe hanging low from the chandelier on Christmas night. I'd rather be kissed neath the mistletoe bough than spoon under any old tree. There's a time and place for everything, but wintertime at present suits me. Forget all about the good old summertime and let's have a kissing be. I'd rather be kissed neath a mistletoe bough than spoon under any old tree. Christians and Jews alike held mistletoe balls and mistletoe proms. High society debutantes came out at mistletoe galas. Men and women sported sprigs of mistletoe on their hats and lapels. When suppliers couldn't keep up with the increased demand for mistletoe in the late 1940s, headlines and newspapers in the United States and Canada complained of a kissing crisis as the holiday season approached. But a kiss is never just a kiss, especially on Christmas. Although mistletoe represented Christmas romance, it also reflected sexual inequality and it excused men's unwanted sexual advances. Depictions of mistletoe at mid-century revealed a widespread assumption that men were sexual aggressors and women were sexual prizes. Popular culture encouraged young men to use mistletoe to catch women while teaching women to give in to men's advances. At one Chicago high school, male students elected a mistletoe queen, the girl they would most like to trap under the mistletoe. And in the pages of popular women's magazine, Redbook, readers could find poems like Miss Under the Mistletoe, which contained the line, when the yuletide is over, we'll miss mistletoe. The girls may be willing, but how will we know? Conflicting messages about sexual behavior meant that young women skated on thin ice during the Christmas season. They could neither be too eager nor too frigid. In the 1950s and 60s, teens who worried about kissing too many boys under the mistletoe regularly wrote to advice columnists seeking help. Other young women complained about unwanted kisses. One letter writer wrote, The fellows like to take advantage and kiss any girl they catch, even girls they don't know very well. I don't want to be a prude, but I don't want to be considered cheap or fast either. What should I do? Sometimes the boys make a fuss when the girl refuses to kiss. Give us a kiss. Columnists offered girls evasive strategies, like turning their heads at the last moment. Then the kiss lands lightly on your cheek. He gets his kiss. Custom is satisfied. In this world, saying no to male sexual attention was not an option. Instead, advice columnists offered girls different ways of saying yes. Kissing under the mistletoe was just one way amorous Americans had Decembers to remember. As Americans participated in a growing consumer culture, Christmas gifts became a way of exploring their sexuality within their marriages. In the first decades of the 20th century, advertisements began encouraging men 
to buy their significant others sexy undergarments. This kind of gift-giving was a break from past traditions, which frowned upon romantic and sexual Christmas gifts. In 1937, the Washington Post fashion editor even described the newfound popularity of lingerie and other romantic gifts as a radical change in gift-giving. Lingerie for Christmas was not a passing fad. During World War II, department stores complained that they couldn't keep enough black, lacy underthings in stock during the Christmas season. Men stationed overseas drove up the sales of racy undergarments. French department stores published a shopping guide for Allied soldiers with a list of key French phrases, including, where is the lingerie department? And, what kind of ladies' lingerie have you? With the aid of servicemen's shopping bureaus at American department stores, they sent risque undergarments to their wives and girlfriends while they themselves dreamed of being home for Christmas. I'll be home for Christmas. Despite the growing popularity of lingerie as a Christmas gift, sales representatives believed that they had to overcome men's shyness when it came to shopping for women's underwear. Stores came up with clever marketing strategies, like guys' nights out and hiring attractive women to model lingerie. These gimmicks continued for decades, even as advertisements reassured men that it was perfectly respectable for them to show up in lingerie departments. Le Sensual, a new and different experience in discovering the real you. Le Sensual, a personal bridge between you and that special someone. Le Sensual, provocative fashions and sensual treasures, the ultimate gift boutique for she or he. For men only, Thursday and Friday nights, complimentary champagne, free gift wrapping, lovely models to help you with your Christmas gift needs. Even though men flocked to shops to purchase lingerie, they often failed to deliver holiday packages that satisfied their spouses. In 1950, one columnist remarked that the first morning after Christmas finds thousands of women from every walk of life milling through numerous department stores trying to exchange the slinky undergarments for something which will fit. An entire advice industry attempted, unsuccessfully, to guide shy or ignorant men on how to correctly purchase sexy and functional lingerie. By the mid-1960s, the Los Angeles Times offered subtle strategies to help men learn their wives' favorite size and color. But some exasperated promoters knew that they couldn't rely on men to get it right. Instead, they urged ladies to tell your Santa Claus just what you want in the lingerie department, and this Christmas, look forward to some pretty dainties worth mentioning. Christmas celebrations and sexual expressions also strayed far from intimate gifts and stolen kisses under the mistletoe. Often, public and explicit sexual expressions, from saucy cards to horny Santas, made the naughty list. Unruly sexual behavior found its way into Christmas print culture. In the early 20th century, with the birth of the modern Christmas card industry, there was a market for naughty cards with dirty rhymes, images, and cartoons. These cards included sassy one-liners like, who's been naughty or nice, and had images of scantily clad women wearing Santa hats and tinsel. One mid-century card included an anatomically improbable Santa, whose not-so-little helper popped up when readers pulled a tab. 
Another card, intended to be sent from a man to a woman, depicts an unhappy and sexually inadequate Santa in bed with a barely clothed beauty. Santa moans, there's no use. I only come once a year and I always go off up the chimney. The card promised that its giver could pick up where Santa had left off. As the annual tide of tawdry Christmas cards appeared on newsstands, defenders of morals urged the public to avoid what one anti-vice crusader called the vulgar and licentious cards making a travesty of Christmas. In 1957, a member of Congress even launched a campaign against body Christmas cards, asking the Postmaster General to ban such cards from the mail. But naughty cards endured, much to the dismay of some upright citizens. But cards were only a small part of the naughty holiday offerings. Mass-produced holiday-themed illustrations and photographs of scantily clad and nude women became increasingly common by mid-century. Businesses sent pinup calendars to their clients that depicted women wearing nothing but a shred of gift wrapping and who had names like Miss Mistletoe. Marilyn Monroe appeared in one memorable pinup, standing in front of a fireplace and dressed in a translucent Christmas stocking. And of course, Playboy magazine included regular year-end holiday-themed centerfolds. By the 1960s, advertisements in Playboy asked wives and girlfriends to make up for what he may have been missing all year by giving the men in their lives a year subscription to Playboy for Christmas. Adding to the seasonal sexual festivities were risque Christmas songs. A number of songs presented Santa Claus not as an elderly and benevolent gift giver, but as a virile sex symbol. Black blues musicians in particular drew from long-standing traditions of innuendo to represent Santa. In 1949, R&B singer Amos Milburn crooned to his lover, Let's make Christmas merry, baby. Let me be your Santa Claus. I want to slide down your chimney and fill your stockings full of toys. Elvis Presley, who frequently poached from blues traditions, told female fans in 1957 to hang up your pretty stockings, turn off the light. Santa Claus is coming down your chimney tonight. Bluesman Clarence Carter, meanwhile, described himself in 1968 as a backdoor Santa and sang, I make all the little girls happy while the boys are out to play. And in 1974, Albert King dropped the wordplay and simply sang, Santa Claus Wants Some Lovin'. Santa Claus wants some lovin'. Yeah, no. Santa Claus wants some lovin'. Male singers didn't get to have all the holiday fun. Blues women like Ella Fitzgerald told knowing audiences in 1950 how Santa Claus got stuck in her chimney. Eartha Kitt's 1953 pop hit, Santa Baby, urged Santa Claus to hurry down the chimney tonight. In 1962, party album singer Kay Martin even released an entire Christmas album of suggestive songs that had titles like Hang Your Balls on the Christmas Tree and Santa's Doing the Horizontal Twist. Oh, hang your balls on the Christmas tree, make it look so bright. Hang your balls on the Christmas tree, oh, happy Christmas night. 
With the liberalization of U.S. obscenity laws in the 1960s, the sexual content of American Christmas traditions only increased. In the 1970s, hardcore porn theaters premiered films like O Come, All Ye Faithful and The Passions of Carol. Some of these theaters offered live Santa strip shows and singing telegram companies provided sexy Santa strippers to electrify your holidays. Sex shops advertised ticklish rubbers, or as they called them, seasonal scumbags as Christmas gifts, alongside a range of other toys and videos. In 1979, pornographic actress and pioneering phone sex star Gloria Leonard released a festive recording. Gloria Leonard opens her holiday gift box and talks to you. It appeared as a special insert in High Society magazine because it joined countless other sexually explicit holiday offerings that year. Leonard's racy recording failed to raise an eyebrow. Tis the season to get your jollies. I'm sitting in a big, comfy chair, and I'm wearing a pair of very sheer black panties. I've got on dark seam stockings and very high-heeled shoes. On top, I'm not wearing much. A see-through nighty, black, of course. It's one of those super short baby dolls, which gives my long, smooth legs lots of freedom. As Christmas grew ever raunchier, getting Santas to behave became a bigger problem. In 1968, a New Jersey father sued a holiday hotline after Santa Claus uttered obscene remarks to his son on the telephone. In the 1970s, the Associated Press reported that shopping mall Santas were growing more unruly sneaking peeks at girly magazines, drinking openly, and hitting on mothers while on the job. The head of a promotions company responsible for staffing shopping malls with Santas in nine states complained, I know that every year I'm going to have some incident that's going to cause me embarrassment. Even federal government employees pushed boundaries during the holiday season. In 1974, Two women working at the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare caused a small stir when they showed up at the office dressed as Santa's sexy helpers in order to raise money for charity. Media coverage sided with these sexy helpers and blamed a few old men and jealous women for raising a ruckus over nothing. Numerous Harlequin romance novels, which literary critics have called pornography for women, have been devoted to Christmas themes. Since the 1970s, women have gobbled up books with titles like A Cowboy for Christmas, A Christmas Proposal, and Christmas Yet to Come. These stories wrap Christmas, sexual excitement, and romantic intrigue together with teasers like All Caitlin wanted for Christmas was a date with her handsome boss. Instead, Santa delivered rugged Joe Rockwell the husband Caitlin forgot she had. Sometimes the collision between sexual services and commercial Christmas services was accidental. A 1984 legal report noted how the previous December, dial a Santa Claus was only one digit away from dial a porn, thus confusing countless chubby-fingered, and hence imprecise dialing, youngsters who were A, surprised to find Santa was a woman, and B, did not understand the message she was imparting. Far from being outraged at the proximity of Santa and sex, 
the authors of the legal report suggested a simple solution, a friendly letter to the phone company asking it to assign a different number to dial a Santa Claus next year. In our dash through this history of sex and Christmas, what's remarkable is that we have not seen a persistent puritanical bent. Moralists' concerns have been and remain less about sexual sacrilege and more about what kinds of sexual practices can be considered joyful and jolly. This history of not-so-silent nights, in other words, is one in which Americans have steadily wrapped and then unwrapped their changing religious and sexual practices together. From candy cane kisses to mistletoe belts, the holiday season has long been a time to explore the pleasures, perils, and possibilities of being nice and naughty. For straight folks in particular, the effects of these Christmas consummations linger on, long after they've taken down their lights and tossed their Christmas trees to the curb. For decades now, late August and early September have been the most common birth date in the nation, a time when the gifts of Yuletide loving are literally delivered across the United States. Sex in History is written and produced by Lauren Gutterman and me, Gillian Frank. Our senior producer is Sunil Lee Ginawi. Rebecca Davis is our story editor and producer. Our assistant producers are Stephen Colebrook and Mallory Zamansky. Caroline Asdell, Catherine Kenny, and Felix Young are our research associates. To see our liner notes for this episode, our Spotify holiday playlist, and for marvelous pictures from Christmas nights past, please visit our website at www.sexinghistory.com. Sexing History is made possible with generous funding from Alan Zwickler of the Phil Zwickler Charitable and Memorial Foundation. Created in honor of the journalist, filmmaker, poet, and gay activist Phil Zwickler, the foundation seeks to promote human rights, education, health, and the arts, specifically with respect to the gay and lesbian community, and generally with regard to those individuals and groups who need assistance to survive and be heard. Visit them at pzfoundation.org. We are also grateful for the support of the University of Delaware College of Arts and Sciences program for undergraduate summer research. Sexing History is also supported by funding from the Humanities Media Project in the College of Liberal Arts at the University of Texas, Austin. The Humanities Media Project aims to tell human stories and invite critical conversations that educate, inspire, and connect communities. They believe that the humanities play a crucial role in maintaining a healthy democratic society. Sexing History is grateful for a grant from the Program in American Studies and the Americas Center, Centro de las Americas at University of Virginia. The Americas Center promotes the interdisciplinary study of the arts, cultures, histories, and societies of the Americas. From all of us at Sexing History, Happy holidays and thanks for listening. <laughs>